The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Um, I haven't done a show in a while, as you know, but today's guest reached out because we've been trying to get this together for the last year, and when he said he could do it, I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. And cool. It's Michael Chiklis. So, dude, thank you so much for being here. That's a pleasure to be here, Brian. Uh, obviously, you guys know Chick from all the incredible stuff from Wired to the Kamish to The Shield, you know, to Gotham, which he's on now, and his rock band, Michael Chiklis Band, <laughs> and his uh, huge uh, and great presence on Twitter. But dude, you were so nice to me when I was a young guy, and I you was? don't know. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I love hearing this. <laughs> it was like 90, 96, and you, or 97, you were living at the Phillips Club on like Broadway in, might have been, in, was it 98? When were you living on Broadway in 67th near Tower Records? That was 97. Yes. That was 97. I was doing a Broadway show here in And town. you would walk your dog really early in the morning. <laughs> yes. And I lived in that building. Get out of here. And you and I would talk in the mornings. And you had done the commission. And you were already Michael Chiklis. You were who you are. Right. And you were wearing a suit a lot of that. I don't know if you were just coming back from like crazy night. Like... You looked heavily stressed. You, it seemed like you had a lot going on. And I was like 28 and you were just completely cool to me and would chat as long as you're walking the dog. And uh, like many days in a row, I remember just thinking someday, like, I'd love to work with that dude. And he doesn't know that I want to do this. Oh, that's so hot shit, man. I'm so glad to know that. Uh, you know, cause well, listen, I'm a, I'm sort of an affable guy. I really am actually. It's not a put on. I'm just an easygoing guy and I like people and I like talking to people, uh, until they fuck it up. And then <laughs> I was, so I was living in that building. I was living in that building in between apartments before we sold it's great building before we sold rounders. And so we had just right. written it and we were getting rejections. And so I couldn't say to you, like, I'm a screenwriter. Cause I wasn't. Right. I was. So you were in transition. I you was were trying. like, oh, but you should have. You should have. But I, instead, I was just kind of would like ask you like what you were doing. And like, I was trying to just like uh, understand that time, the life you were living. I was, uh, you know, that was one of those periods where I, w I, w I was doing a Broadway show. And after, in every actor's life, when you finish a long running television series, it's followed by a dip. You know, people, especially when it's so sort of character specific as the commish was, yeah. you know, you have to break that in some way. And right after the commish, people were, honestly, I was a 27 year old guy when the commish started and I gained a ton of weight and I wore Sears, you know, cheap shit suits and everyone in Hollywood thought that I was this 50 year old frumpy guy. Yes. So I come down at 33 at the end of that run and no one is, you know, looking at me for anything different because they think everything I'm getting is these affable, right. sweet, roly poly guys, you know, the yes. commish. Well, yeah. Well, I want to talk about, two. yes, for sure. Uh, and so you decided to take the, yeah, let the me go to stage and, you know, and, and do something on stage. And that was defending the caveman, which is a six month run at the booth, which is sure. a historic theater, fantastic gig. It was great. That's what you were doing. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. it's all, who wrote that thing? Uh, uh, Rob, Becker. Rob, Becker, right. The yeah. guy who worked yeah, yeah. on the, uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> funny stand up comedian. 
Yeah, like wrote jokes for IMS or something. Yes, you know, for a lot of people. For right. a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I remember that. Yeah, that's what you're doing. But anyway, you know, you never know. Like all of us, you could have been a dick or you could have said like, kid, um, <laughs> don't talk to me or any number of things. But I, I always remembered, and it's funny, I always carried in my head, like, I got to work with Chicklet someday, not just because he's great, but because I know he's actually just like a good dude. Oh, cool, and man. And now awesome understanding the pressure. So whatever. Thanks well, for being no, cool. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Listen, you know, uh, I've never understood the propensity for some of my peers to, you know, it, it takes just as much energy to be cool as it is to be a dick. Right. And what do you, when you are, when you're a dick, it stays with people for the rest of their life. Completely. And just totally like it stayed with you here right. for 20 plus years, you know, that's exactly uh, that, right. You know, so why, and not that I'm thinking of what I'm going to get for it. It's just why do that? And it's such a negative use of your energy and shit. I yeah. just can't figure out that. Well, yeah. I want to talk about that. Your, your sort of understanding of all this stuff, because when I was preparing for this, obviously I know your work, but, um, I was excited to do a podcast again because I haven't done one in a while. And my favorite thing is digging in (laughs) and thinking about these people. Like, why am I interested in talking to them? Because, you know, I only do this when I really want to talk to them. And I, Jason, thanks, man. Well, no, man, Jay gave me um, this commencement speech that you gave recently. Uh, And it was incredible. People should go find it and read the whole thing. But um, it's on video. Yeah, they should go watch it. But I want to talk about, you know, so many people who listen to this are people who, they're artists or they're trying to be artists or they have some dream, like whether it's being an artist or not, they're aspiring, like as we all are, to get to yes. like a next step. And, you know, Still this idea it. of deciding for yourself what success is and tuning out these other voices. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about that and how you came to, to that understanding? Well, I think you were just saying that we all aspire, right? And And you get caught up in your desire to succeed so much that sometimes you forget yourself and you forget what the whole point of it was to begin with. And I've, you know, took a number of different situations on the chin. And I think when I had the opportunity, this was my daughter's commencements, by the way, it was her. At USC at for USC. her graduation. Yes. Oh, and I called yeah. her and I said, honey, listen, they've asked me to do this. If you don't want me to do it, I d- I'm not going to do it. And uh, you don't she said, stage your daughter. Right. Yeah. It's her day. And she said, dad, come on. This is a lifetime thing. Oh, this that's is beautiful. So great. Yeah. We're very tight. She's incredible. And by the way, very proud of her. She's a writer. She's, uh, she's writing a book right now. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Anyway. Um, so she asked, so you said, do you want me to do it? Yeah. And she so, said, yeah, do so, it. so in, and thinking about what I'm, what am I going to say to university of Southern California drama and film students? Right. You know, these are sophisticated kids. They're far more sophisticated than I was coming out of college. That's for sure. And look, you know, this business, I've watched so many different, I guess, you know, with age, man, we're old enough now. You've seen people come and go. You've seen people have meteoric ascents followed by meteoric descents. You've had all these, all these different scenarios. For me, longevity always mattered. Legacy always mattered. You knew that then? When I was a kid. I'll tell you why. Seminal moment. Uh, Gene Hackman yeah. was on the Michael Douglas show. The old Michael. I love yeah, that. Yeah, the old one. Okay. The old when Michael I was Douglas a, show. The yeah, high I school. I loved it. That's yeah. right. And Michael Douglas said to him, words to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, a million years ago, but it, I, I just, it, it, it had such an impact on me because I knew at that time, a young kid, I wanted to be an actor. And he said to Gene, do you think people will most remember, remember you for Popeye Doyle? And he bristled. Hackman did. 
And he was like, well, I hope, I hope, yeah, I hope that by the time, you know, my career is over that they appreciate me for a body of work. And I remember standing up off the couch and going, that's right. That's right. How did you have that clarity? I don't know. It just made so much sense to me when he said that I was like, I just connected to that. I was like, you know, it's cool to have a hit, but to me, I want to live in this. I don't want to, you know, be a one trick pony or to, to, to be one and done. I, I, I want to have a body of work at the end of my, you know, when I croak, I want to right. leave a, a, you know, a decent body of work. And my father always tempered all of that and said, Hey, listen, I don't care who you're talking about, whether it's Brando or any of the greats. Uh, they all did their stinkers too. So you have to persevere through those things. So what do you think it was when you were a kid? Uh, I'm sure by now, because we started, I was asking you about well, I wanted this to, t- I wanted to tie it. Hold yeah, on. I, I wanted to tie it back into what you asked, which is so through all of this experience I've had in my life, I, I think it's vitally important. I wished that when I was in college, when I was at, because uh, I studied theater at Boston University School yeah. of Fine Arts, right? Little plug for my alma mater. There you go. Uh, that someone with experience, someone from the film industry had, had advised us. And what, and, and I, when I was thinking about this speech, one of the things I thought of is, you know, what do I wish someone told me at that time in my life? I had the question to ask you. Yeah. Which was, you know, and, and to me, it was define success for yourself. Know who you are and who you are not. Understand that this is a business as well as an art form and you have to balance your life. You have to find some sort of equilibrium in a, in a, in a field that is not balanced. It's just not. It's it doesn't natu- offer that. You right. have to, it's nat- it doesn't you, offer that to you. It has to come from within you. And that was the thrust of the, of the speech. And it really resonated with the kids. I mean, that was a really goosebump moment, man, when they well, jumped to their Well, you can tell, like, listening to it that that's the case. It's funny, as you were talking about, you know, I was just thinking about how the whole battle – for all of it is just becoming comfortable in your skin and with who you are. All the work gets better the more comfortable yeah. you are. And just look, so this true. is the bot. This is, that doesn't mean you don't work to improve all the time or that right. you don't. You, you're strive. always hungry, I mean, you're always, always moving fighting. toward it. Yeah. You're always cr- like um, rigorously looking at how you can get better, get better. refine yes. the toolkit. But like the moment that you can accept, okay, this is, this is what I am. These are the, the faults. Yeah. This is, and you can walk into a room. Warts and all. As a, as a writer, as yeah. a producer, as, as an, an actor, artist. as an artist, walk into a room like, um, well, this is what, this is the stuff I'm working Zit. with. <laughs> you know, and it's hard as fucking hell to do, to man. To get there, yeah. Still 50 years old for me. And like you, you know, I haven't enjoyed almost. all the success you have, but I've certainly like, you, you know, we're in a room with, it, uh, dude. we're in a room with a lot of it posters of you're, my movies dude and you're crushing like, it no it's been great like that's like, one of the reasons why i'm here no, i'm a fan you. but thank you but it's still i'm saying for us it's still like a battle to yeah. do it yeah and because you say in that speech right in there you talk about a guy some guy on a typewriter in dubuque oh yeah can <laughs> still criticize some human stain yeah on sitting a couch on, a, on, a, on a couch and i actually i cut semen stained couch you did from i cut speech. that yeah i thought no that's a bridge too far i shouldn't go with semen stain so i just went but, <laughs> but this idea of defining success because what this ties into right is this idea you know the first question young people always ask us or they get to it is uh how do i get an agent how do i get representation and the more you say to them listen when you're ready it's going to happen when your work is it's very hard for them to hear because they're defining success by uh some kind of rule book that doesn't yeah. really exist. exist so how did you figure out this part how did you 
from when you were a kid? Like where, where did this twin like sort of ambition of artistic and uh, business come from? Do you think like, that is so inbred in me by my father? My, what, what my was father his? is a is a New England earthen human. I think it's interesting because it was one of the great catastrophes of my life, the, the divorce of my mother and father. A lot of people say that it's better. I was uh, 18. I was right leaving to go to college and uh, they split. And I didn't know. I was the youngest and they sheltered me from it. So, and I thought, not my family. I did, And it really broke my foundation and it really sent me into turmoil for a while. But you know, as an older person now, looking in retrospect, my parents were completely opposite people. Opposites may attract, but people who are alike stay together. Because when you're so physically, uh, philosophically, I should say, uh, just divergent. divergent, you're in trouble. Sure. So, but the irony of it is, as an artist, here I have this earthen, just salt of the earth, Guy New England, old. hard work. Yeah, my father. And I have this ethereal, aspiring opera singer. Uh, my mother, her two thrusts of study were in horticulture. Right. And and uh, to be a mezzo-soprano in the opera. Two ephemeral art. Yes, art, exactly. Unless you record two things that, right. by their definition, they disappear the moment that they're at their- Right. The moment that they're right. at their highest beauty, they're they then fade. gone. They're gone. Right. Right. And and th- these two people made me. So I am both of those people. Sure. And it's a little schizophrenic at times. You're like a Jim Steinman song <laughs> in a person. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. and part of me is this really earthen street kid, born in Lowell and rough and tumble, uh, world-class athlete, older brother who beat the shit out of me every day. What was My, his sport? He was uh, a soccer player. I mean, he's three books in himself. My brother, Peter, uh, I love him and I can't stand him. Right. I, 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 I shouldn't say that out loud because I do love my brother. But, you know, he drives me crazy and he knows that. But I love my brother. Uh, we've been through a lot and he was tough to grow up under. And in a way, I... Th- I you think you were forged in that sort yeah, of... Yeah, I think that... I, uh, think that, that, I, that he, I thank him in a lot of ways because Hollywood was really not hard after him, you know? Right. He would kick me in the side of the were head. Were you decent at sports or not? Yeah, I was the captain of my football team. Right. Re- really, I was... I was... I beat a lot of guys with my brain. I, 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 I was a really solid, competent athlete, but Peter was a superior athlete. What position do you play? Uh, on football, I, play, yeah. I played both ways. I was a weak side linebacker and a fullback. Right. And I played right wing in hockey. And I loved contact sports. I loved baseball. I was a I was a competent third baseman, but a really good DH. Excellent ball and stick guy. If it requires hitting it with an implement, I can do it. Yeah, uh, I love playing third. I'm a, I'm yeah, a third, the hot spot. Third great. Like, yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I wish hit. I was better at it. I couldn't hit for, I was bad at hitting. Oh, uh, see, I was, I was really, I good, can really play third, third base. Yeah. yeah. I love playing. I, well, I, I, I would have had the river. I loved being a batter and was great at it. Uh, I had a 354 batting average. I was three fifty four high school batting yeah. average. Yeah. So it was so really you good. being a part of teams. I loved team. And that's huh. another thing I think that you're right. So if the, the film business is a team sport, I've always said it. I've said that it is tantamount asking, making a great film or television show is tantamount to asking about 50 
top chefs to go into a kitchen and cook one meal together. This is, yes, this is really interesting. Now, this is where we're getting the weeds a little bit, uh, but I think it's fine. I'm really interested in this. Because the question I had for you is, you know, you could have made a hard turn toward film at various times in your life. And you've really, over and over, come back to television in a big way. I wish you were right about that. Wait, that's not true? That No, it's not true. Why? You could have made indie films. Well, I suppose um, the opportunities did not come to me in the film side for a long time after Wired. Right, but after the, I'm saying after the commission of the Shield, because- well, oh, this is the question. Oh, after the shield. Yes. Yeah, sure. To be sure. I yeah. mean, you got the huge move. I mean, you. Right, you, right, right, right. But, oh, okay. But, but yes, of course, I understand that, um, after Wired, you would have liked to have done movies. Yeah. But I'm saying once happening. you did, uh, the commission, then it's funny. The stories always make it seem like it was, you know, 10 years later that the shield came along, but it wasn't that many years later, yeah. really. It was. Well, uh, that was, it ended in 96. It was a while, but I also had a, a series in between and a Broadway right. hit and, you know, a couple of independent films. The, the problem with the independent film world at that time is I was a new father. And, you know, I did this movie, you know, uh, in the late 90s that sent me to uh, Amsterdam for three months. Yeah. And I remember just suffering because my wife was pregnant with our second and I missed my autumn so terribly. It was really bad for me. Yes. And then, you know, I got this ill-fated uh, sitcom called Daddy yes, in 2000. Um, and although that did, that went awry, I shot it in, in LA. And so began 12 years of shooting in LA during the fat of their raising both of my children. Sure. And that stability w meant a lot to it me. It does. I, I completely get that. But I also think, and I, I don't even know if this is conscious or if this is part of it, but I'm not sure I think that the making movies really is like a team sport in the same way. I think a lot of movie stars are playing an individual game. And you've been around them. And they're in double wide, double bang, double height, you know, There's uh, a class single bangers. System. And they're, they're working even as actors. They're working internally by themselves whereas number one on a call sheet on a tv series the captain of a team yeah and you're in a long-term different kind of an endeavor aren't you 100 percent. it's a marathon it's not a sprint it's i looked at the shield we all said it from the beginning this will hopefully be a hundred hour movie right and so you're that this is what i'm trying to say you've been the number one on the call sheet of three different television shows and you've gravitated back to this medium and i'm I wonder if there is something about the fact that you want to show up. Was it five. five shows where you've five. been number one on the call sheet? Yeah. Right. So that, I mean, <laughs> to me. Which is crazy, really. No. To say it but, out loud is. But, but that is, there's got to be something in you that responds to taking that mantle on. Because that is a heavy, you know, I see it on my show every day. We get, I have two guys, Paul and Damien. But I see the responsibility Unlike on a movie, they really are the head of the department, of their department. Right. They really are running this endeavor alongside us. I love it. I love it. I love I love the team effort. I love nurturing people. I love helping people along that process. I love I love seeing people flourish. I love letting talented people be talented. Yeah. When you're number one on the culture of a TV show, you're involved in solving the problems. Yes. On a T and a movie, you're just like making the complaint. It's funny that you said that because, you know, the only place I ever left in my life, I actually shed a tear was Australia. And here's why. 
I shot the Three Stooges movie there in 2000. I was there for 10 weeks. Right. And when I left, I cried. And the reason was the people. Do you know that every single person on that set, and they don't call them extras, they call them background artists. And, and they the mean reason, it. Here they, we we no, say it here, but with quotes no, but they, Yes, it. right. They mean it, and these people all have a, at least a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Right. They were all actors. They were all trained. They were highly professional. But the, here was the thing. If something went wrong, anything went wrong, the, their first instinct, their first thing to say is, no worries, mate. She'll be right. And I love any group of people. I know I'm painting with a broad brush here. No. But any group of people whose, whose propensity it is to respond to difficulty with, we're going to fix it, yes. as opposed to panic or freak out, that's just not me. I get brutally calm. I get like calm when shit goes wrong. Right. I, always? I, always. Has it always been Johnny your- Johnny on the spot, God damn it. Right. That's been your that's character the, from the beginning. That's the time to be calm. I can't stand it when people get all hysterical when something, especially when it's not, no one's arms falling off. You know, and that's really the time to get calm. But right. I mean, you know, on set, people get hysterical about things and you're like, no, yes. there's no need for that. Well, yeah, though, because if you really actually <laughs> step all the way back and think about it, let's say, and it's a great sort of, I think, let's say the the worst that has to happen is you got to just move the lights in the village from one side of the room to the other and do it again. I mean, the worst thing that happens is- Well, that's uh, what you're was so lose. great about the Aussies. They just went, no worries. And they did it. I um, now, like once a year, listen to that book, Difficult Men, which is this great book about showrunners. Oh, it's about all the different guys. I heard it's about, about this. It's about David Chase yes. and um, David Simon and, and David Milch, Milch yeah. and Sean Ryan. Yeah. And Sean tells the story in the book about how he was friends with you. He doesn't say from where, but he says, he, where were you guys living uh, in the well, neighborhood? Well, it was really, we lived in the neighborhood, but it was really my wife and and his wife knew each other since they were five years old. Right. So They grew up in Pickwick and- in Miami and Florida. Okay. So yeah, they he, they don't get into all that detail. They just say it was uncomfortable for so you come off the commish, you do the daddy-o show. Yeah. You're comfortable, roly-poly, rumply, yeah. Michael Chiklis, who everybody loves. Yeah. And they write Vic Mackey as the fucking baddest cop who ever lives. And according to the book, this is how the book tells it. It was very uncomfortable for Sean because he didn't want you to come in because you were offering to come in and read. And he was like, I can't have Michael come in and read and not cast him. And I don't want to do it. And I'm listening to the, to the thing now with the, you know, obviously passage of time and knowing you played one of the defining, I mean, you know, one of the central characters of the third golden age of television. There's no doubt about it. You know, one of the defining characters of our era of television. And you were considered, I mean, they were behind closed doors, scared to have to tell you no. Because they thought it was so absurd that there was any possibility that you could do this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm picturing myself in your shoes, and I think I would have been filled with rage. And I would have been uh, fighting the humiliation off and filled with rage. And a lot of actors would have said, fuck you, I'm not coming in. Can you just talk about, for, for people to understand like how you actually broke it down for yourself that you were willing to go audition again? Well, first of all, yeah, I mean, you're so spot on about all of this. Uh, but at that time, following Daddy O, and I'll admit this now, bitterly, I remember saying, you know, you know what? Cause it was such a lovely, sweet, benign show and it got attacked. It was eviscerated by the critics. 
to the point where one had to sort of look at it and go, are they talking about like sweet little benign daddy-o? Right. Like what are you, right, why do you have these knives out? Bitterly, I said to my wife behind the scenes, I said, you know what? I, I, I'm going to do something. The next thing I do is going to be called fucking blow me. <laughs> right. Okay. Really? That's the way I felt. And I said, you know what? I need to just, I need to change things. I need to do something hard hitting and adult and grown up and, and just, cause this is all they see me as right now. And my wife said the most, I, I've, I've said this in the press before, but this is what she said. And this is how quick my wife is. She goes, listen, it isn't incumbent upon the studios or the networks to reinvent you. It's incumbent upon you to reinvent yourself. So I don't care if we have to sell this house. I don't care what we have to do. You need to physically transform yourself and present someone else. This is before The Shield shows up. This was before The Shield, right at the end of Daddio. Right. And I was depressed, and it was a bad time. And I fought her about it a little bit, hemmed and hawed, and then broke down and realized she's absolutely right. Right. And for the next six months, I was in the gym three hours a day, and I shaved my head. And I just- With got, like just a secret promise to you. Just you didn't- Born again Nobody hard. knew what you were no, doing? No. I, like, I didn't just, know what I was doing. Listen. Oh. Yeah. This is I just putting it out in the world. This is what I'm going to do. So we're, I'm, I'm working out like a freak. We get three months into this process and I'm, it's working, you know, cause I'm an athlete kind of out to seed, but you know, it's my, my athletics coming back and I'm getting in shape. And my wife again says to me, listen, you know, you know, it would be a great, uh, story. There was this guy that I grew up with named Franco in Miami. And he was a badass. He was the most decorated cop in all of Miami. And he always had lawsuits pending against him. My hand to God. Yeah, I believe you. And I'm like, wow, that sounds awesome. And she's telling me about it more and more. And we embark on starting to to put together a movie. This was going to be a feature film called Franco. And I was going to play Franco. And two months later, while we're developing this and I'm about to break paper, it's finally at the point where we're, we're going to start writing it because we've been, you know, boarding. Yeah. Planning and planning. Yeah. Right. She forces me to go to a Jimboree class (laughs) with my youngest and we go across the street and, you know, and we get in there and there's Kathy with her baby. Sean's wife. Sean's wife. Who's on the show too. Yeah. And I knew Kathy from when I first met Michelle, when we first started dating back in 90. Right. But I hadn't seen her in all these years since we moved to Vancouver for five years. You run out of touch with people. You mean, the wives were still in touch, but you hadn't. No, they weren't even in touch. Really? Yeah. We ran into her for the first time since we had moved to Vancouver back in, in, in 91. Right. Say, so, hey, uh, oh, you got to meet my husband. Oh, yeah. No kidding. And here's this bald guy. And I'm like, hey, and he's, he, you know, he had just been working with. Right. And Sean isn't the famous Sean Ryan. No, yet. I don't know. He's been on he's other some, shows. Some, yeah, he's a working He was writer. a staff writer on, on, uh, oh, what was that Don Johnson show up in San Francisco oh, yeah, that he right. shot? Right. He was on that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Cool. You know, and he's like, well, I got this thing and it's called The Barn, you know, and it's on FX. And I remember thinking to myself. Walker, Texas Ranger, one of those shows. I was like, the, the Barn and what is FX? 
I did not know what FX was. It was not a thing. FX at the time. Oh, right. Was, you know, they played reruns of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That, that, that's, they were a rerun channel, right? Yes. And then yeah, Peter Liguri and Kevin Riley went over there and yeah. they had this idea to make HBO they wanted on, ba- to be on a basic giant, cable. Giant killer. They wanted to be David to HBO. But you client. don't know this. So you meet no, Sean. None of that. You so start I meet talking. Sean. And he's telling me about his thing and, 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 uh, and Kathy says, Oh, you should read it. And I'm like, you know, okay, you know, not thinking uh, awkwardly, it. uncomfortably sure. thinking like, Oh God, you know, what's this going to be like? The barn at FX, right? Cause that's what it was called at first. Yes. Right. Cause that's so what they called here, the priest. Yeah. So it comes to me and I read it and it's not only Franco, it's a hundred times better than I could have ever delivered it. Right. And it ends the way it ends. The yeah, pilot, no, of course. Which made me yell out and loud. If anyone and throw has it, the, I threw it across the room and was like, oh my God. And I threw it across the room and I was like, Michelle, I have to have this. I have to do it. Wow. And she's like, are you kidding me? I said, Michelle, it's the best pilot I've ever read. <sighs> like, hands down, it's the best pilot I ever read. And Brian, honestly, look at me. Right. I was never Brad Pitt. I'm never going to be Brad Pitt, right? Talk about knowing who you are and who you are not. The, the way I've made my bones in this world is a to, to be the best actor I could be, but also to have, I believe, a talent for, for recognizing, recognizing great writers. You figured out the material. Yes. That's I a had huge, to find, gigantic part had of it. to find the diamond in the rough. And let me tell you right now, if that show was at any of the majors, they wouldn't have let me in the room. Right. I was going to say, you know, some people might not have seen that show. Like a generation of kids now who are listening may not know the show. Jason, you said you just got back into it now because it's on Netflix, it's on Netflix now or Amazon. And so uh, if you haven't seen The Shield, you should stop this. Is that where you're watching it? Hulu? It's on Hulu. You should stop and go and watch The Shield because it is the, the pilot of that show. Even now, all these years later, the, the pilot of that show stands up as a singular piece of art. Well, if you watch the pilot, you're going to watch, well, the, you'll watch the whole it. thing. You'll blow right through <laughs> it. But so you read the thing and I, you say, I, I got to have, have to have it. But he wasn't giving it to you. He was giving it to you for your advice, well, not that, to start. Well, they it. said for me, right, exactly. And now I turn to him and I'm like, I want to play Mackie. And he balked and was like, well, and then they threw channels. Now, all of a sudden, now, uh, agents are involved. I have to read, and my agents. Yes, because right. I'm a television star at this. You're point. a big. Yeah, I mean it's important I'm a, to know I'm to a read for a television star. again. Number one on the call sheet by that time on a couple of shows yeah. and a big look. If somebody's been the the guy at the center of a show that's done a hundred episodes, yeah. first of all, they have enough money, especially in the, they have enough money that they don't have to don't have work to do if it. they don't want to. Right. Nobody's asking them to audition because what everyone thinks is. They know what that person does, and the, and the actor's agents can get fired if they tell the actor to read. Right. But that's what they're and my afraid guy, of. And the people in my camp are going, you can't read for this. It's not even a, it's a network. It's, right. it's, it's some bullshit little channel. And I said to them, you guys, have you read this? Honestly, have you read it? Huh. And they're like, yeah, I read, it's good. I was like, no, no. This is the best pilot I've ever read. And they were like, really? <laughs> you know, uh, and- it really was. I saw it for what it was. And so were, so you were, were you, when everyone was telling you that, and when suddenly Sean I was, got the word, now remember, yes. the late great Scott Brazil and I had worked on the commission together. He had directed one of the, yes. you know, the episodes, and he knew me as the commish. And he and Sean, I, I, you know, I honestly think that he was the biggest skeptic. He was like, this isn't going to happen. How could this guy now, do it? Now, he hadn't seen me. 
And Sean really didn't know my work happily. He didn't know me from the commission because he never watched it. And when it. he met you that time at the gym, you'd already been in the gym like three months. Yeah, I was I was Had ripped. you already become ripped. that guy? I was guy? ripped at that point. Yeah, I was I was pretty ripped at that point. It was it was four months at that point, and I was bald and ripped. Right, ready to go. You yeah, were basically I was ready, to ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was ready to go right then. And so were you mad about having an audition or or did you feel No, because I I, they, I the thing your wife you know, said was. And do you know what's on. funny? And I'm I'm just t- totally transparent here. I'm telling you what happened. Yeah. My wife and I, uh, here's the level of our expectation. I just need this tape ah. because if it will redefine me and people will see. The, I want to say that he, 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 you're saying you just wanted, you don't get, you go in, you don't get the part. You ask the casting director, Hey, I just want the piece of tape to have so I can go out with it. No, no, I wanted the pilot. Right. But if this pilot gets made, no one's going to see it. It's on FX. Oh, I have the tape. So I have the tape of me playing Vic Mackey. Oh, that's it. Right. In this pilot. Sure. If it never gets picked up, it never gets picked up. But But you thought you were going to go get the part. You did think you're going to go in there and get the part. Yeah, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go and win it. And my wife, again, said... You absolutely should, because I turned to her when everyone was telling me you can't. You mean your do agents this. like don't go agents read because it makes you look bad yeah, and all that you shit. You can't go in there. What if they don't give it to you? Ba, ba, ba. So I turned to my wife and she said, "You need to go in there and earn it, because if you earn it, they'll be comfortable and you'll be comfortable. You won't be feeling like they're second guessing you." Best advice I ever got. Uh, I prepared for it, and when I went in, that's when the rage happened because you mean that's when you actually got angry yeah i had heard that there they were very beyond skeptical and that they were actually seeing me almost as a matter of course a courtesy a courtesy michael chick is a famous guy let's let him come in and then we'll figure out with my wife i better you know just i'm gonna accommodate him and we'll find some way to sort of sure and I remember sitting in that waiting room and becoming filled <laughs> with rage to the point where I was like, I'm going to make them fear me. I'm, they're going to fear me. I'm, uh, as matter, they're going to fear that I'm going to do something. They're going to fear me in the room. Uh, I, I, I was so apeshit about this. It's true. the best, dude. It's, it's so the true. best thing ever. It's so true. It's a moment we all remember, dream of, by the I way. I remember my head turning red. Right. You felt the bubble. I was, yeah. I felt me go Merlot. The cover, I was like, fuck it. And I, and they called me in and I walked in and I know I was just so full. I was, I was so at a heightened place and not where I am right now. But it was you alone, I right? Just, I mean, there's yeah, no one just else. me saying, and, and, Peter Liguori, Kevin Riley. The two guys who were the heads of the network. Yeah, all the guys. Sean. Yeah, they're all there. Yeah, Sean, uh, uh, Scott Brazil. And I came in and it's the scene, you know, with the pedophile who I end up punching in the throat and beating with a, with a, with a book. And when it came to that point, I violently went at the poor reader, the girl. <laughs> and she screamed and fell off her chair like was running from me and i i didn't break i i like i you were in it i was in it i was in the thick of it and i looked up at everybody and i must have just looked like a complete maniac i know i did well you looked like and i Mackie. just i was yeah i was there and then i just looked at everybody and i just left you did yeah you just turned and went yeah i just left did you know you had it you know you got it I was shaking. I was adrenal. I was like, uh, you know, if I don't get this, fuck it. Right. 
and I left and I, I got it and it was great. And I have to say seven years of joy and bliss and amazing relationships. And I, I've said this many, many times, but I will always say it. Not only do I love Sean, but Sean was, did something brilliant, man. Aside from being a great writer in his own right on his own, he surrounded himself with phenomenal talent. It's a murderer's row, our writer's Oh, staff. yeah, of course. You know, if you look at The Shield, it's Glenn Mazzara and uh, and Scotty Rosenbaum and Kurt Sutter. And, you know, like every All one of them went off to create own, these yeah, incredible exactly. shows. Right. It's the who's who of television today of course. in terms of showrunners, right? Yes. So in all honesty, every script that we got, we ran to our respective trailers and were just reading this shit. What do you like, think it what? is? What do you think it is? So I just want to focus on this one thing, the moment you're describing before you went into the room, because oh because Peak State, no, I wanted for a second trying to understand Look, if you did, have any did, sense Did I go red? Yeah, it's great. It was awesome it? watching. Because, so, no, because it just, I haven't thought I wonder of that if it comes in a long from, time. I wonder if it comes from sports, but you go. what happened there, right, was at the exact, you peaked at the exact right moment. All of us, when we're in our peak state, can do work that's far beyond yeah. our normal work-a-day life. The problem is it's very hard to control it, right? Writers, we sit there, we decide we have to show up and have a daily practice so that within that daily practice, hopefully at some point, that thing happens where we disappear and we, we look up and it's uh, that half hour is where every, you yeah. know, you're sitting there for seven <laughs> hours, just, but in that half yeah. hour, you've accomplished everything you're going to accomplish, yep. right? But the, the ability that great perf- athletes have, great performers have, opera singers, you're saying, to peak at just the right moment. Oh, yeah, it's performance. Now, I'm wondering that, I mean, when you got to commit, has that always been the thing for you that you are able to create in yourself that thing and if so have you thought about it or does it just happen oh my this is my father why well my father is equal parts humility and cocky punk ah yeah because he believes that you should be humble and you should understand who you are and who you are not what your limitations are but you should also be supremely confident in your abilities and you absolutely do not choke you are afraid and you do it anyway, as you, I said. You in barrel speech. through. Well, you face it. Yeah. My father's yeah. always said these. He has catchphrase philosophy. Take your demons off of your shoulder, embrace them and put them in your front pocket. Things like that. That's awesome. You know, all, yeah. all things that really. Look at them. I, yeah, I just. Own it. Own it. Look at that. Know it and go, all right. Right. So you allow yourself to be aware of the, some people would want to tell themselves it's just an audition. Don't make it this giant no, thing, but you went the wrong. other way, no, right? Just go, no, it is giant. This is everything. This is everything right now, and I have to stand and deliver right now. The imperative. I understand that completely. Do you, right? It's no, I mean, now. I, that's. Hit the fucking ball. Yes. Now. Step up. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. Hey, but, uh, you know why? Also, remember, I had just done five years, well, you know, not, not too long ago of, of the commish. Follow being number one on that show and followed by a Broadway show where what we didn't say is that it was a one man show right. on Broadway, oh, yeah, no, I was two say, hours. Right, Caveman is a one, the one man show. Let me yeah. tell you, one of the most terrifying moments of my life is opening night on Broadway in a one man show. Sure. I remember having fight or flight syndrome so badly that I looked at the exit door and I thought to myself, I could be halfway up fucking Broadway and they wouldn't even know it. That was an actual conscious thought. That was thought a in conscious thought. I thought I could, no one's here. 
Like the stage manager said goodbye to me and he's running the lights up front. Right. That, that was only two of us. It was him and I. And, and I thought, fuck it, I can go. And then I got mad. Again, I got mad. Fight or flight syndrome. And I tend to fight. Sure. Yeah. Right. So I went. You can tap into I it. I went, no, kill. Because comedy is aggression too. And I went, fuck that. Stand and kill right now. And I, I, I must have been really a bizarre first 10 Can minutes you still? of that first show. Because sure. I wasn't supposed to be mad. <laughs> I really was. But if what you use for this fuel is this sort of like me against the, I'm ready. How well, I, and, and I'm not going to be ruled by my fears. And the thing is, people say, you know, like I'll, I'll be really nervous before everything. I was nervous when I came up here. You know, whenever I'm going to perform or be in front of people, I'm sure. nervous Still. every single time. And it, in ways, it's exhausting, but I, I'm, you know what it is? I fear complacency. Right. I'm terrified of that moment that I think that I've got it all wired and figured out because I think that then, then become, go, you know, then comes the fall. Then, you know, my work turns into shit and I, and I don't care anymore. And to me, it's natural to feel nervous before you go on stage or before you go on camera. And I give a shit. And I think it also releases endorphins and, and, and adrenal gland. And, yes. you know, so that brings you to a heightened place. So you're completely aware, you know, and, and it helps you in terms of performance. I think anybody who performs is that's listening to this is shaking their head and going, yeah. For sure. And in, in, yeah. in any... Uh, in, in any sort of branch of this, you have to be willing when I, to face it. When I did stand up for a year and a half, oh, I, you did when I was forty, late. Oh Christ! Because I hadn't, and I was scared of it, and I was like, I have to do you this. Good for People you. Listen yeah, to this, right. no. I'm like fuck it, I and gotta do this. I'm saying yes. Yeah, so I don't want to. I'm not gonna tell the whole story. But basically, at forty, I was, and I did it four or five nights a week for a year and a half. I really did it, which was incredible because you have to face that uncertainty. And it helped me so much How'd when you I do? came Bet back you to killed, writing. Right? I, well, you know what happens is I got to the point where like one out of every three nights I killed. And then it's about right. um, one, one night I would kill, one night I would like get over, and one night it wouldn't work. And it all had to do with how do you manage your state. Where you it's all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the same, right? Yeah. You're basically doing the same 10 minutes at that time. Yeah. But it's also feeling the crowd. It's a craft, man. You've, you, like, well, I know you worked like, in the comedy clubs as, yeah, a, I did, a, bartender as a bartender and wow, watched research. all these guys do this he stuff. Really yeah. researched. I yeah. This, I worked at Comedy yeah. U Grand in the village. Uh, uh, I'm no, sorry, in Soho. And I saw the best of them. I saw Ray Romano the first night he ever did stand up. Oh, and awesome. he crushed. He just killed. Uh, but all the greats would I come used to go see this, him at the cellar. I yeah. used to go watch Ray at the Cellar in 88, 89. You don't, yeah. still at the, the yeah. toward the beginning. Yeah. It was all those guys were John, yeah. Oh, yeah. Alan uh, Havy, Jerry, John Stewart. Alan Havy. Havy. Oh. Who's oh. like my brother? Oh. He's a, oh. a How is he? Uh, he's great. I haven't seen him since oh, those you're days. You're so happy right now to know he had a huge run on Mad Men. The last two years of Mad Men, he had oh, a giant fuck. Part. I, I, and I haven't seen that You'll last two years. You'll be thrilled to know. He has oh, a, Alan Havy. One of the br most brilliant Comedians. comedic talents I've ever seen. You remember the bit with the with the oh, flashlight? Of course. Yeah. You think you're safe I, in the front I, row? Choking laughing. I remember bartending, choking to death laughing at Alan Hayden. Oh, this year's me. I call him Uncle Al. Oh. I was an 18, 19-year-old kid. He was 30. Uh -huh. And I would go see him all the time because he was the best. You know, John Stewart the best. says Alan was the, the best, best comedian in New York. The best comedian I ever saw. Yeah, he was the top guy. Yep. 
And I started going every night and he noticed me and he was like, kid, you're coming every night. You don't want my jokes. And he was just like, call me if you want to come. Why should you have to pay? And he just like took me under his oh, wing and we've cool been like family. I mean, he's family to me. Yeah, since, he's, oh man, I'm 18 please years old. give him my love. I, I wonder if he'd remember. Dude, I'm obviously sure, he's going to remember. Maybe he would, you know, I guess. 100%. But he's, he's had this late run as an actor. He had this really huge part on Mad Men. And then he's been on a whole Cone Brothers movie. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Oh man. Over the last few years. Oh, I love it. And so he had like a new sort of a rebirth. Oh, when um, you said Alan Hayby, I'm like, you know, cause, cause he's yes. one and of he those guys that was like a, like a, the, you know, like a secret. And I would talk yes. to people in LA and I'm like, no, Alan Hayby. <laughs> you yes. know, like you have no, if you want to piss yourself laughing, you know, and, and listen, I got a segue from fear. Yes, do. Talking about fear and dealing with fear into what I'm doing now. Yeah, yes, please. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm the band. Yeah, I'm, I want to well, talk about it because I write yeah. songs too. Do and you it's really? terrifying. Yes, and I play them for people sometimes. And well, it's and terrifying. you know what? Listen, I know what I'm facing. My eyes are wide open. I know all my, the, the, any of my peers who have these vanity bands and they suck and people eye roll as soon as they hear about another actor. People in immediately the band. want to say Bruce Willis and a harmonica. They yeah, just want to uh, go right there. Wanna, yeah, exactly. Except I'm a legitimate musician and have been since I was a child. By the way, so is Bruce. I just want to say for yeah, whatever yeah, it's yeah, worth. Bruce true. is a musician. No, no, he, he takes is. It really Actually, seriously. Bruce is too. I know it's he just does. people want to write guys off. They yeah, immediately they want, want to. to say, they, they want to write Jeff Bridges off and you can't be more legit. Oh, he's totally legit. Jeff and yeah. they want to write everything. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Isn't it that an amazing? What is that? What do you think it is? It's fascinating to me. I think it has to do with, uh, don't you have enough? I think it has to do with like, uh, oh, come is on. It that I think it's, it's not, no, I, I think it's, first, it's a couple things. We accept musicians t- are like, mag- in our minds, are doing this magic trick that we can't understand. And actors, are, even though actors are too, I think we look at them as they're telling a, a different kind of story. They're working for, it's just, I think people are skeptic. They bring a skeptical mind to it for some reason. Maybe we don't well, want to know our rock stars, our musicians as well or in the same way. It's interesting. Yeah. There are people who can do both. I mean, look. There yeah, are, there are. Yeah, and uh, listen. I, so what made I, you look? Obviously, your facing, mom's a singer. I mean. Yeah, no, it, no. I, I love I love music, obviously. I love writing. I've always kept my foot in it because I've sat in with a bunch of bands and I always play. What's your instrument? Um, drums are my first instrument, but I also play bass and guitar. And I What sing. do you write on? I, I usually write on the bass. I, That's fascinating. I write like like what I understand. McCartney and, and Sting write in this way. They, they, they have a bass groove and a melody over it. Right. And that's so the bass of, groove is what starts it for you. Yes. The pocket. Yeah. In a the, way. Pocket. the bass groove, the yeah, pocket. I'm a drummer, drummer. Right? And the bass is the sort of the bridge between the melodic and the percussive. And then you top. Yeah. So you do your own top line, but the, and the top line is coming over the, that's right. The bass. That's right. I mean, I have written a bunch of songs on guitar as well. But what you first pick, I'm saying what you first pick up bass. is the bass. Yeah. And what was it scary? Cause I, this is totally what I, so like this idea of, and by the way, I never meant to disparage uh, Bruce at all. He's a terrific rhythm and blues. Nobody's uh, no, no. It's, neither of us disparage yeah, okay, him. I was good. more saying that people look at him when he first did that because he was such a white hot star. I think people were like, "What are you? You know, like, yeah, what are you doing? What are you yeah. doing?" And I think yeah. that's the, the the question. Yeah, I hear the earnest. I mean, I listen to a bunch There's of stuff, and it's clear and you love mean it. And, yeah. There's no doubt. And when I heard yeah, you yeah. say the thing about your mom, it all made sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have a big voice. Well, we, yeah, we grew up, you know, having jazz sessions in the backyard, playing swing, and 
you know, when I was seven years old. What so, kind of music did you grow up personally listening to? Like, where? Well, there was a lot. It was very eclectic because my mother was listening to, you know, Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops. And yeah. my father was a jazz head. He took me to see Miles Davis when I was a child. Wow. I don't have any remembrance of it. But at you all. went. But I went. Uh, the, you know, the, the Rat Pack. And that was my childhood, right? A lot of jazz in my childhood. But then when I started to get into my formative years, 12, 13 years old, rock and roll was the biggest thing, right? So the Beatles, the Stones, and then the art rockers of the 70s. That was my... That's, like Yes and Genesis? Yes, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, um, Queen, David Bowie. These were... Because you know what it was, I think? They were theatrical. They were... To me, they were perfect for me because... I loved performance. I loved that bigger than life performance, but they were also really legit musicians as well. So it was this sort of bridge between the theatrical and the musical. Uh, right, of course. There were right? a lot of bands out of England doing that. The, all the British rockers, I seem to the really have an affinity for those proggy. Yeah. And that, and you can hear it in influence my album. You can hear like one tune. I, I was going to call this album um, the new this new album the new album new record. influence it's called and yes, it's not I, but it's not available yet I checked it's There's only available one song. for pre sale and right. you get one song but the rest of the album drops uh, September sixteenth there are two songs that are going to drop in interim between now and then one on the twenty eighth and one on the first and who's your band. Oh man, these kids! Did you you found a band? Is it a regular well, band? Well, what or is happened studio was guys? I was shooting a movie in Connecticut with Ray Liotta and Forrest Whitaker, a little independent movie called Pawn that I put together under my banner. That we just jammed ten pounds of sand into a five pound bag. It was we shot it in fifteen days. It was absurd. Uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. But you know, Sorry, I haven't seen it, but I'll, yeah, I have to go see it. Yeah, you know what? It works. Um, you know, it, it gets oh, I you there. I love Ray and Forrest. One of my yeah, there's never, some great performances in it. I don't know Forrest, but he's one it. of my favorite actors. Oh, so you guys him. together, yeah, I have yeah, to. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we had worked together obviously on the Shield in season yeah. five, and you know, so I mean, it works. Uh, you know, we needed 21 days for sure. You know, let's put it that way. But it works, and it's you know, I would definitely re recommend it as a as a rental for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's worth seeing. There's some really good performances in it, and swaths of it work beautifully i mean there's nine stars in that in that movie it's really a cool little independent movie and in the meantime i needed um i needed soundtracking for it and uh here's a really cool story listen to this i'm going to tell you this story yeah. um so 10 years ago yeah i'm at um randy singer's house randy another famous writer randy, randy she, she's great she wrote, she wrote uh, like mrs, mrs. doubtfire right. i love randy yeah, I we're terrific. friends she's terrific wonderful she She's has, Randy Mayhem singer on uh, Twitter, worth following. Right. She's funny and great. Funny, smart, yeah. um, sardonic. But she invited us over to a, uh, an Oscar party at her house to watch the Oscars one night. And we went and I'm, I'm sitting there at the house and it's all adults. And this one kid comes, sits next to me and it's her, her son, Carrie. And he's 15 oh, years he's old. he's a great musician. Insane. He's an amazing musician. He's my guitar kid. player. Oh, that's great. So what happened I was the that. kids. I, he's is, a great guitar. He's a real musician's musician. Oh my kid. god! Yeah. So listen to this. The kid's sitting there and he looks forlorn. He's bespectacled. He looks, you know, he's he's very sort of nerdy kid. And I feel bad for him. So I, I strike up a conversation with him. And I go, "Hey, kid, what's up?" He's like, "Uh, you know, I'm a musician." I'm like, "Really? What do you what do you play?" He's a like, guitar. I said, well, "Who are your favorites?" You know, and. 
he starts naming my 10 favorite guitar players, you know, like Jeff Beck and Adrian Ballou and, you know, Alan Holsworth. And right. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, Alan like, Holsworth from UK. Yeah, and all yeah, yeah. Just incredible bands. bands yeah. Right. So I had a wonderful night talking to the kid. He brings uh, an iPod over, plays me some of his band at the time, and it blows my mind. I turn to Randy. I go, your kid's a prodigy. He's a fucking prodigy. Right. Yeah. And I've heard the stuff. He's like, amazing. I, I, yeah. I was like, you got to be shitting me. So cut to it's five years later. I'm shooting this movie. Uh, yeah. I need soundtrack for the thing. And right at that time, my daughter's going to USC and she's like, dad, well, you got to hear this band that plays at my school. They, two of the guys went to USC at the Thornton School of Music, and they're called Vasta Franz, and you got to listen to them. Vasta Franz. Yeah, of course. But yeah, yeah, I understand. Snip. I know what yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, see, I love that you get these references. My God, a facile mind. I love it. So, <laughs> so I listen to it, and it's the best. It's the best EP I've heard, like, Ever. I mean, like in 20 years, I haven't heard a band like this. Uh, this, this EP, they made they one made. EP. Yeah. And I, Carrie Singer's in the band. I'm like, are you shitting right, and me? You connect right back this to kid, the kid. I'm like, holy shit. And this is his band. And these are the kids. Three of them are the guys that he's been playing with since they were like 12. So they're just fucking tight as can be in their monsters. So you animals. grab up these kids. So I grab them. I, well, they're, I, I grab a song off of this record and use it on the soundtrack of that movie. And then they broke up. One EP and they broke up. They had a falling out, I guess, with the lead vocalist. They broke up, whatever it is, young bands. And I went, you know what? I'm just starting to record my album. This is my rhythm section. I want the youth. I want these guys. They're incredibly tight. And I called them. So you grabbed them for this record that you just made? So they play on all these songs. They are the the primary rhythm section. Those three guys, Kane Rashad. I think uh, um, Max Whipple. I think it's Dennis Miller's joke at the Hugh at the famous roast for Hugh Hefner. I think he came out and he described Hugh Hefner as a man whose soul escaped through his vast deference. I think that's what he. I think that it was Miller. I don't want to give uh, credit like if it Miller. wasn't, but I. Think it sounds that like it a heady was. Miller joke. And the actually. prog rock band that we left out <laughs> from that time when we were geeky kids was the British band Marillion. They oh. were like. <laughs> They were the most yeah, theatrical. Totally. This guy Fish would yes. wear masks. And yeah. that was like the over-the-top over the top. Uh, prog rock, sort of the most I prog rock you know band that. was Marillion uh, from that time period. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Fish was the lead blew singer. my fucking mind well, now, blew my mind. Brian. As you were talking about that music, <laughs> just picturing you as a kid in uh, New England, uh-huh. like thinking about uh, trying to be this kind of artist. Yeah, well. Because that music, the theatricality in that had to touch the acting thing too. My best friend and his older brother, who was like a de facto older brother, you know how you grow sure. up and, you know, his older brother, one of his older brothers was like my older brother. And he worked at, at the ticket office for the Orpheum Theater in Boston. So as the great perk was, we got tickets to everything. And I think I was like 11 years old and I saw Lamb Lies Down on Broadway tour with, with Peter Gabriel. And I saw Queen, their very first performance in America. Queen, I saw Queen of the Garden uh, <sighs> later, but... It was with Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And I mean, you know, 
They yeah. were simply one of the greatest things. I mean, life changing. They were like life altering events, especially for a, an 11, 12, 13 year old. Right, kid. Yeah. I mean, we, the thing about Queen, and I'm not going to go off on a rant about Queen, but the thing about Queen is you had four guys in that band with uh, Roger Taylor, John Deegan's, Brian May, and Freddie Mercury. Each person was a, a, a virtuosic musician who then gave all to the band. They That rhythm section was the Sick. tightest, most creative. Sick. And then you had Brian May, whose sound is different than anybody else's. And like, you know, Queen's not, it's not my music. It's the music I go to to listen to all the time it's now mine. as a grown up. Yeah. But you can go back to those first three or four or five Queen albums and they're perfect. Yeah, they're incredible. They're just yeah. staggering they're things. They're all a huge, massive influence in my life as a musician. Right. And, uh, you know, both, both uh, as a performer, remember, I was a long-haired, uh, blonde, high-tenor drummer, okay? So Roger Taylor instantly sure. became a hero of mine because no one played and sang like Roger, and he was the high voice over Freddie Mercury. So. Right. In any case... The, and as a bass player, you would like Michael Anthony from Van Halen, who had that high yeah, voice him. that would sing loved over him. the top yeah. of, of their music. So... All of these different influences, you will absolutely, what I'm proud of is that you will hear them all on the record, but it doesn't sound like any of those bands. You, you, you feel the influence and it feels familiar and that love is there, but it sounds like me. But, but it's, it's interesting. To, I mean, people should listen to it. I've listened to the music and you can tell this isn't a vanity project. That this is somebody it's doing this shit. thing because yeah. they care about it. Thank you. But it's also clear that this idea, um, the same reason I got up on the stage to do stand up. It's like you keep having to put yourself in spots where you can fail. Yeah. Because, right, I mean, you can already write the reviews some people are going to write about you're, yeah. you're making a record. Yeah. Yes. Without there, without even putting it's the, the easiest the, and the snarkiest. Can I just world. say this is, a, this is the smartest interview I've ever been a part of in my life? Honestly, because, you know, also because you're in it and you've already been through so much of this shit. So, you know, I can hear the snark yeah, you know what from it is. five miles away. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, you're, but you're like so leaping into it, man. Fucking yeah, go you're ahead. Just leaping in. Yeah. Which I think is a huge part of Because I was going to say, you know, we're talking about defining success and, and maybe it is ultimately. Getting to a place where you're just going to do your work. You're going to do your work. You have to, artists have to be courageous. We have to put ourselves out there and dare to fail. And if someone wants to shit on me for, for something that I've put out there, I know that whatever I'm going to put out, whether it's in the worst film in the world or the best film in the world or the worst television series, whatever, whatever it is, I'm putting a thousand percent of myself that, yeah. onto the table. Right. That's what you're going to do. That's the thing you can control. Yes. I mean, ultimately. That's right. No flies on me, motherfucker. That's it. I mean, there's no, there's nothing else to talk about. Drop the fucking No mic. flies on me, motherfucker. <laughs> Michael Chiklis. Dude, thanks for doing this. What a pleasure. I got to find a way to get you in billions, even just for a couple episodes <laughs> in my life, because you're the fucking man. Uh, thanks for listening. He's Chiklis is on Twitter. Uh, follow him on there. He's, uh, he says what he feels like saying, like I do on there. I'm at Brian Koppelman. Uh, you can write to me in a moment, bk at gmail.com, if you have something uh, interesting to say or you want to ask me a question. Honestly, it's hard for me to get back to you, but I try my best. And uh, thanks for listening. I'll put another podcast up when somebody as fascinating as Mr. Chiklis comes along. Thanks, everybody. Jace, great job. Jason DeLeon getting me prepared to do this. And uh, see you all soon. <laughs>